You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, Sunday, May 21st, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or you can find them on all things social, at svbcfamily. A true God is for you. He, he has a plan. He has a plan in the future for you, and it's not to bring harm to you, but to bring hope and prosperity. And, and, and I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. Well, pray for the pink Cadillac and you get the pink Cadillac. It's nothing like that. God wants the best for his people because he loves you. He loves you. We're going to be kind of shifting gears over the next several weeks. Uh, and, and up until now, there, there's kind of a difference between, there's two different types of sermons. And, and, and one is the topical, which is kind of what I've been doing since, since, since I've been here. The topical sermon does just that. Just that. It takes a topic. You, you, you know, you, you preach about a topic. It's something. And that's, that's a good type of sermon because what it does is it, it, it helps teach you and in certain circumstances that when I'm walking in these certain, these certain circumstances or I'm going through this certain thing, this, this is the way I can look to the Lord. Or this is, this is, this is a, a nugget of hope that I needed. But then there's also the expositional. The expositional will be, it's kind of like the line-by-line line thing where, where you, you kind of go down through the Scripture at a different pace in a different way. I'm not going to be looking com, or, or doing expositional preaching completely. It's going to be kind of a hybrid of these two because we're gonna, we are going to be going through the book of Romans. You know, why the book of Romans? God's been laying the book of Romans thing on my heart. The, the, we have had the tools. We've been talking about things and situations, the topics. But it's also very important for us to deal with doctrine. You know, what, what is this doctrine thing? It's, it's important for us to understand what the Bible has to say about stuff. You know, not only just, not only just you know, I'm in this situation, this is how to apply Scripture to me. We need to we need to be able to bend our lives around Scripture. We need to not try to dictate what Scripture is. We're supposed to understand or extract the meaning out of Scripture and, and, and learn from it. So we're going to be looking at the Book of Romans. The, why the Book of Romans? For me, the Book of Romans is kind of like Christianity 101. Paul covers just about everything in the Book of Romans. You know, and, and you know what is so important about this? This is many scholars believe this was the last letter that Paul wrote. Well, why is it? Why is it? Why is it so early in the Bible? The New Testament set up differently than than, than uh, the Old Testament. You start out with the Gospels, then then you have the letters. The letters are are in the order, not of how they were written. The longest letter, which is Romans, was the first. And as each letter gets shorter, the very last letter is the shortest of his letters. You, you know, so when you, read, when you read your New Testament, you, you start out with Matthew and go through Revelations. When you get to the letters, you're not reading them in chronological order the way they were written. You're basically reading the longest, working your way down to the shortest. But Romans, we believe, was the last, probably the last that he'd written. It had a very... A very uh, well-defined theology about it. You know, he's, he's educating us about a lot of things. And there's, there's going to be times as we look at Romans, it's going to be, we're going to have to 
we're going to have to call sin, sin. Things that the world is saying that's not sin, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to acknowledge it for what it is. Because if Paul, you know, Paul, everything he's saying, everything he says in, in all of his letters, it can be found in the Old Testament. Paul didn't write anything new. He basically was, was able to help us understand the Old Testament, and he clarified things in his letters. There's nothing new in the New Testament. There really isn't. The, the only true difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament is the New Testament is, is post-resurrection. A lot of things that didn't might quite make sense in the Old Testament, it makes way more sense when you understand Jesus as Messiah. So, so when we get to read the New Testament, we get to understand things that, that might not have been so easy to understand before. This is actually going to be a two-part sermon because we're going to be talking about God's dealing with sin uh, we're going to be looking at two different pieces. It was too big of a chunk to do in one sermon. We could do it in one sermon, but Sanford would be pretty mad at 2 o'clock if he was still out there trying to get in. And I don't want to make Sanford mad. I don't want to put you to sleep, and I don't want Sanford mad at me. The, the, so we're going to be looking at God's dealing with sin. The first half is, that we're going to look at today is kind of what roads does he allow us and our sin to take us down. Next week, we're going to actually look at judgment. You know, so these two things go hand in hand, but we're going to look at the roads that God allows us to walk down. And one of the things you're going to find out when, when we're not going to be able to do the book of Romans in an expositional way completely, because if you went line by line through Romans, we would be here for like sometime next year or the year after that. You know, so in each of the chapters, we're gonna, there might be a chapter, we hit two or three things in the chapter, there might be a chapter, we hit one thing. But we're going to do a pretty good look at the book of Romans. Something else that you're going to see is the Bible, the New, especially the New Testament, well, both Testaments, but especially the New Testament, it's broken up not only in books, but chapters. The little sections, the little sections where it has like a little subtitle, well, this is what this is, this is what this uh, next several uh, paragraphs is about. Those are called pericope. So pericope, pericope are the little subsections inside of chapters. The problem is, is when Paul wrote these letters, there was no chapters in pericope. It was one letter. In, in fact, if you would see Paul's writings, proper, he wrote proper Greek. I mean, this was a smart guy. He was an educated man. You want to talk about Reynolds' sentences, it would make, it would make your English teacher pass out if, if they looked at proper Greek. I mean, so it might have one whole page might be one sentence. You know, so those chapters and those pericope, we've broken those down into that. Paul didn't. It was just one big, long letter. And so sometimes when, I, when we look at the Bible, and this is, why, this is why I know I've said this in the past, but I need to really drive this point home. If you're looking for a section of the Bible to read and you find the pericope subtitles, you know, um, like Jesus walks on water. You want to talk about Jesus? We want to know about Jesus walking on water. You can find that pericope head, or subtitle. The problem is, is you got to read before it and after it because I don't always agree with where they've broken these things off. <laughs> you, you know, because they've taken sometimes a thought and they've they've stopped it and kind of shifted gears in, in a way that may, Paul may not necessarily have intended. And we see this right off the bat, right here. At Romans 1, 16 through 18. These first, these first two verses are the end of one pericope, and then we're going to dive into the next one. 
But I, the reason I, I wanted to go before and look at this is there's a very important message here. You know, before we look into God's dealing with sin, there's something, to be, there's something important to understand here. Because when, when you start dealing with sin and you start talking about what sin is and what it looks like, you will not be in agreement with anyone around you who is not a Christian. You know, unless you are a Christ follower, there's going to be conflict between your belief system and the world's belief system. So what, what sometimes happens? What happens sometimes is we become ashamed because we're afraid to speak the truth because we're worried about the way it's going to conflict our friends, or we're worried about how it's going to conflict our family, or how it's going to conflict the, the, the people we talk to in our workplaces. So sometimes we will back off. Sometimes we will feel the Holy Spirit saying, go, 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 go. But because we're ashamed or we're concerned about the response, we will hold back. But Paul says this in Romans 1, 16 through 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. First of all, right off the bat, I am not ashamed. That's so important. We should not be ashamed of the gospel. We should not be ashamed of anything that, that, that is in the Word of God. The gospel, what is the gospel? A gospel, this is just not a word that we've come with. In the ancient time, a gospel was a proclamation of what? Good news. So if we are ashamed of the good news, there's a problem. Because what is the good news? The good news is we were dying in sin, and because somebody died in their place and rose again, I'm no longer dying in sin, and I'm going to heaven. That's pretty good news. Is there any reason we should be ashamed of that? Absolutely not. In fact, we're going to come back to this. I'm going to advance one little slide here. And this is another reason why it's so important. We're going to stick in Romans, all except for this one chapter, Luke 9 26. This is the words of Jesus. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into his glory and in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So what's Jesus saying? If you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Do you want Jesus to be ashamed of you? I don't. I don't. So when I'm holding back, because I'm ashamed or scared. It, it's, Jesus takes it personal. He takes it personal. You know, we just, we just recently did communion. We drank symbols of, of flesh that was torn, and we drank symbols of blood that was poured out. Jesus paid a high price for you. You have nothing to be ashamed of. We should not be ashamed of our Savior. We should be yelling His name at the top of the mountaintops because He is worthy, and He's done something for you that nobody else ever has, nobody else ever will, and nobody else ever could. So there is no reason for us to be ashamed of the gospel or the Savior that the gospel is about. First to the Jew and then to the, then to the Gentile. Well, let me tell you what, this is a historical reference because, you know, when I was early in my faith, this kind of, this kind of bugged me a little bit, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Somehow, in my mind, 
I was thinking, does God look at me as a, as a second-rate citizen? Because everything's first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. It's a historical fact. Jesus came through the Jewish people, and every blessing that we have first came through the Jewish people, and then it came to us. It's a historical fact. Jesus doesn't look at you as a second-rate citizen. That's not why he says first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. It's not why Paul says that. It's because it's true. It came first to the Jewish people because of the promises and the relationship that God had with Abraham all the way through now and through eternity. It did first come to the Jew and then to the Gentile. I'm I'm just glad that I'm on the same ship. I'm just glad that I'm going in the same direction. I don't care who it came first to or who it came second. And as Eric has said many times, we're, we're, we're spiritual Jews anyway. We're children of Abraham. The Bible says that. That's not me. I didn't come up with that. You know, so God, God, God he, he's not looking at you as believers in Jesus, being a Gentile who's not is a second-rate citizen. What, what the Bible tells us is that we are an engrafted vine. We're one now. Paul tells us there's no longer any, any Jew or Gentile, Greek or Hebrew. None of these things. These separations are gone. Why are they gone? Because of Jesus. That's another reason not to be ashamed of my Jesus. All these little barriers that used to exist, he got rid of them. We are all one because of Jesus. That's something to be excited about. All these cool things that you see, these cool blessings that God gave the Jewish people, they're your blessings now because you are one. You are one because of Jesus. Isn't that exciting? That is exciting, exciting stuff. For in the gospel, the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You're going to see a lot in Paul about faith. Faith and grace. Those are two things. Man, when I, when I think about the Apostle Paul, I think about faith and I think about grace. The, 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 these are exciting concepts. But you're, you, you are saved by your faith in God. Do you think that's, a, you think that's another new thing that Paul came up with? For God so loves the world that whoever believes in him, believes in him, by faith you are justified. I could stand up here all day long and quote scriptures that tells me that the righteousness that I've been given and the life that I have is because of my faith in the one that God sent. My my faith in Jesus himself. That is that faith. It's that faith that saves us. Our faith in, in Jesus and the understanding that who, of who he is and what he's done. It is by faith we are saved, not by works. And we will talk about that later. That's in Romans. And we'll, of course, we'll have to wrangle with James a little bit because James and Paul actually are not conflicting one another. We just, sometimes we just don't understand how these things connect. Nope, I need to go one more. Okay, God's dealing with sin. So now we're looking at, this is kind of the beginning of that pericope we talked about. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since, they, since what may be known about God is plain to them 
Does God has made it plain to them? You know, God has made the truth about himself pretty easy. Really easy. In fact, before I get into that, let's look at the next scripture, or the next passage. And it's one of the reasons for me it's just so easy. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuses. So what is this saying? You know, I've, I've talked about how I don't understand how anybody could ever say that there isn't a God. You know, when I stand at the ocean, and I've, I've used this example many, many times, but it's just so real to me. When I stand at the ocean, where I'm sitting in a chair at the ocean and just watching the waves come in, I think about this entire world that's out there. That we, very, that we and, and as smart as we think we are, know very little about. You, you know, there's, we find things, the, the, the smarter we think we are and the better our technology is, the deeper we can go down in the trenches, we're still finding things that we had no idea that exist. You know, bioluminous, they, there's, there's, there's fish because there's no light. They make their own light. You, you know, God has done some really cool things. How can you not look at nature and think that, that, that it just happened by accident? You know, evolution is, 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 it, it just blows me away. Again, I'm a, I'm a science guy. I don't knock on science. I love science. But, but the, the process of evolution, what it has grown into, it even grew, it went way far out of bounds, further than I think Darwin probably even ever intended it to be. I, I mean, it started out that, that they say that lightning struck some pool of protein and that they fused and then they grew into like a tadpole-looking thing, which grew into a gerbil-looking thing, which, 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 which grew into a, to a, to a monkey-looking thing, and then to an us. You know, you know what the... And there's even more steps. I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like generically. There's steps basically where they've gone from fused protein all the way to what you are right now. Do you realize what kind of bull that is? It couldn't happen that way. You know, even some of our, our, our smartest scientists have even, uh, they, they now say, well, science, the, the one species can't change into another species. Even science is figuring that out. It just can't happen that way. Anthony Flew, I know I've talked about this when I talked about apologetics, but we can't miss what, what, what we see in Anthony Flew. This guy wrote a paper, I believe in the 60s, that atheists still use to this day. Anthony, I think it's A-N-T-H-O-N. It, it's, it's close to Anthony, but it's missing the flu. F-L-E-W. Look this guy up. He, he, wrote, he wrote a paper that atheists to this day use as the primary arguments against the existence of a God. But when he, he's, he's kind of like a scientist slash philosopher kind of guy, which I think is kind of a unicorn in itself. But, but, but he's, he, he's, he started to look at DNA. And what he found out in his study of DNA is that in every strand of DNA says more about you. There's more information in every strand of your DNA, more information that is contained in the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. And some younger people might not even know what that is. The Encyclopedia Britannica. So what did Anthony Flew, this, this, this atheist of atheists, what was his conclusion after studying DNA? This is his words. 
that this had to have been the design of an infinitely intelligent mind. You're not an accident. You're not the result of a, of a lightning strike. And the, 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 the existence and the awesomeness of God is seen in nature. Can you imagine a lightning strike? What do we say? We, we got a fight, we got a thunderstorm coming in, it hits their tree, splits their tree. Do you realize we, we can't figure out how to generate that kind of electricity? God does it like that. It's nothing to him. Nothing to him. You realize that, that he, the, 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 kind of the rotation that he spends us in here on the earth is the reason you can walk and not be so heavy that you can't, you know, that you, that you can't stand up or floating off in the outer space. You, the whole tilt, you tilt one degree one way you freeze, you tilt one degree the other way you burn up. How can that be an accident? Do you think that some, some rock spinning around in the Milky Way can do that enough to sustain life? The awesomeness of God is seen in his creation. How can anyone look at the creation of God and doubt that there is a creator? It's beyond me. He makes it so plain to see. We see Paul say that in that scripture before that. He reveals himself in his creation. It is so easy to see the awesomeness of God and the fact that he was a creator. It can't happen by accident. It can't. It can't. The awesomeness of God. You realize your body. You cut yourself. You heal yourself. How does that happen? How does how does your thoughts? How do they stay organized and, and keep you keep you on track? Your reflexes. How is it that 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 if you prick your finger, it doesn't even go all the way up to your brain. It just hits your spinal cord, and your spinal cord shoots it back down. So, whoa, get away. You're, you're an amazing thing. You are a, a, you are a creation. You are the masterpiece of the creator. So if you ever doubt that you're special, I'm telling you, you are, of all the things in creation, the stars, the moons, the planets, the oceans, the mountains, it's nothing compared to what God has done in you. You, you are something else. Don't take my word for it. Study yourself. Fire up that, that, that box we call a computer and study about the coolness of yourself. God's done that for you. Do you realize even the way you think? God, we see in Genesis that God created us in his own image. So even, even just your existence, you reflect the image of the creator. You reflect him. That is a, that's a crazy thing. You're the only thing in creation created after the image of the creator. You want to know one of the ways that I, under, I understand God just a little bit better? And it's because of this thing, this being made in his image. You realize the emotions that we have, God has them. So when we get angry, you know what? God does get angry sometimes. When we get sad, God gets sad sometimes. The only difference between us and God when it comes to emotions 
is he has perfect emotion control. He has affect control. He can, he's reeled in. He is tight. He's got his stuff together. He doesn't, he doesn't let anger just, just, just roll. Because if he did, you want to know what? We would have we been zapped like that bug in that light I talk about. God is, God is he's slow to anger. We're pretty quick sometimes. I know I can be. But God's, the, his qualities and his power and his divine nature it is seen in his creation. He's made it so plain to see is what Paul's saying. How can you doubt a creator? It is so plain to see. Lightning bugs. Their, light, their butts light up. Isn't that cool? I'll tell you what, I'll never forget it. I was working in Clark County. I was running radar out there on Route 50, trying to catch you guys. <laughs> and all the lights were out on my cruiser except for that radar. I'd never seen anything like it. All the trees on both sides of me and in the grass around me, there must have been a million lightning bugs. I turned out the lights in my car, and it's like the place was lit up with their lighted butts. And I'm looking at this and thinking, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I've seen some cool stuff. I've seen some cool stuff. But, but, but the, the awesomeness of God is made so plain. It's, it's revealed so plainly about God. But moving on. For all they, they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile with their foolish hearts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. There's two things that jump out at me about Romans 1, 21 through 23. Proclaiming to be wise, they became fools. I know a lot of people that have done that. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in school. I've read a lot of books. I've seen a lot of viewpoints. I've seen a lot of worldviews. And I've seen some people who thought that they were so smart, and I, I stopped reading the books like, this is the dumbest person I've ever heard. Because they take something as simple, something so simple, and they try to make it into something that's not. This whole evolution thing I was just talking about. These guys thought that they were so smart that they figured out how we evolved from the lightning strike to who you are. But what did they do? They became fools. They became fools. And I'm going to talk about that again here in a minute. But I want to look at this. This is something we talked about in Sunday school. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. What, what, is, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about idols. Let's talk about context. It's really important to understand context when we read the Bible. He was talking to the Romans who made idols. 
they, they made idols of people, idols of animals and birds and snakes and all these things. So just because we read about, you know, what the Romans were doing, we're not off the hook. Because our idols are still idols, they just look different. Do we think that maybe, and this is the example we talked about in Sunday school. Say you had the super fast car. You spent seventy, eighty thousand dollars for it. You get a ding in it, and your whole world's coming to an end. Might that be an idol? Or the eight hundred, nine hundred million dollar house that, that, in order to obtain it, you have to work four full time jobs, and you're too tired to enjoy it. Has it become an idol? And again. And I, and I said this in Sunday school, it's so important. I am not knocking people that have nice stuff or big things. God blesses people the way he chooses to bless people. It's, I'm, I'm not trying to stand up here driving my little old car that my mother gave me and say, you bad people for having nice stuff. That's not what I'm saying. If God's blessed you to have a million dollar house, God bless you. If you can buy a $70,000 car, God bless you. That's not what this is. But when the house and the car become the center of your life, there's a problem. Have we ever made people idols? What is an idol? An idol is, an idol is a thing we replace God with. When God says, I'm a jealous God, you will have no other gods before me, what is he talking about? Idols. He's talking about the stuff in your heart, that you value more than you value Him. Do you have an idol in your life? Do you have a job that's more important than you to God? Do you have a, a contract that's more important than God? Do you have a, a, a car that's more important than God? Do you have a, a, a relationship with a person that's more important to God? Think about that. Because when we do those things, we are putting ourselves in a position against God. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. So what is he saying here? You know, the one thing I've noticed about God, I'm sorry if I'm boogered up my shoulder, so if I'm doing these little funny little dances, I'm just trying to get comfortable, sorry. Well, I'll tell you something that I noticed about God over the years. God doesn't force me to do anything. He doesn't. He may have a desire for me to do something. If I resist that, he might try to steer me back, and back into that direction over and over and over. God doesn't make me do anything. Why is that? Because he gave me a free will. So what happens is, and what Paul is talking about, and we're going to look at it even more over the next couple of verses, if you choose to have idols in your life and you choose to, to view 
things in the world, like knowledge, in a, in a lens that's not through a God lens, and you continue to do these things, God will give you enough rope for you to hang yourself. And I don't mean that in an ugly way. What I'm saying is, is if you insist on, on, on going down a road, if you insist on doing a thing, if you insist on resisting the knowledge of God, he's going to let you go. Why? Because he gave you a free will. He doesn't want to be your dictator. He wants to be your father. So what has happened? These people, these people who became fools because they thought that they were so smart and, and they've put things in front of God. What, what is he saying he's doing? He's saying, okay. He, he gave them over. What does this mean? To give something over doesn't mean that he forced them down a the path. It just means he took his hand off and let them go their way, the way that they were insisting on going. You know, God will do that. If you resist God and you refuse to go the direction he wants you to go, he will take his hand up and, and, and let you go that direction. And that's what these folks are doing. And you're going to learn a lot about the Romans and some of the things that they were doing through the book of Romans. But there's still, there's so many commonalities between the things, the ways that they were screwing things up and the way we're screwing things up. Let's look at this. Because of this, God gave them over again. He, he just, he, he, he removed his protective hand. He let them over. He let them over to their shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? You know the big catch words in, in, in liberal thought now, and one of them I'm not opposed to. I like, I like diversity. I love when white people, black people, and brown people who speak different languages, you, you know, get together and, and, and do cool things together. But what is this equity thing? Diversity and equity. If equity is true equity and, and people are just viewed equally, I, I mean, that's, that's, that's not even, I can't even say that's a bad thing. That's not what's going on. Equity is not equity in today's society. If you are living and doing things in a certain way and having particularly relationships, sexual relationships like this, it's not equal. You're expected to accept that. You're, accepted to think that. you're expected to think that it's okay. And if you don't think it's okay, society will label you as a hater. That's not equity. That's not equity at all. So because these folks chose human wisdom over God's wisdom, were making idols, putting, putting things in, in, in their heart in place where, places where only God's supposed to be, he let them go their way. He let them do their thing. And boy, they went, they went, they went buck wild. 
The guy started sleeping with the guys, and the girls started sleeping with the girls. Oh, it didn't stop there. Furthermore, just as, as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what, they, so that they do what ought, not ought to be done. So, so God's also saying, okay, you're just, you're just refusing to even accept my, 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 my laws and my, my rules, and, and you, just, you just want to do whatever you want. Okay, I'll let you do it. And their minds became depraved as a result. And they did the stuff that they shouldn't be doing. Again, does this sound familiar? Sounds a little bit like my America right now. It really does. I love my country. I am not standing up here knocking the United States of America. You want to know one of the best blessings God has ever given you? The fact that you were born here. I'm not knocking my country. I love my country. But my country's messing up. My country is, is, is not, it's, it's rejecting the wisdom of God and the ways of God. And, and it's trying to jam things down their throat and make us think that things are okay that God says that aren't okay. The sad thing about that is what happens? What do we load from the Old Testament? When we keep going down that path and going down that path, eventually judgment comes. Talked about this in Sunday school. I probably, I probably need to Google this before I quote it again, but it's just so, so true. I believe it was Billy Graham. The statement is true. I think it was Billy Graham that said that if God continues to allow the things to happen in America that's going on in America, that he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. God is shedding so much grace on us. You know, we like to study the Old Testament and see all the ways that the... That, that, that the nation of Israel screwed up and how God kept saving them. Well, let me tell you what, that's your history, America. <laughs> it really, really is. There's nothing new under the sun. The Hebrew people didn't do anything that we're not doing. <laughs> Again, the context just looks a little different because the world looks a little bit different. Continuing on, we're almost done. And they had become filled with every kind of wickedness, Again, this is, the, this is the byproduct of not listening to God. This is the byproduct of refusing to accept his knowledge, refusing to accept his counsel, and doing things the way you want, and ignoring what God says. Here's the byproducts. They had become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. That is quite a laundry list. Quite a laundry list. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, envious, greedy, wicked, Gossip, slanders, God-haters. Wow. Let that sink in, folks. Do you realize the laws of God are made to protect you and not to hinder you? 
when God tells us not to do stuff, it's not because he's trying to keep some cool thing from us. It's because he's trying to keep us from going down the path of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, evil, people that disobey their parents, slanders, all, all these. He's wanting us to not go down these paths. That's why God has rules. It's not to, to restrict you. God gives you rules to give you liberty. Let me say that again. God gives you rules to give you freedom. And they're not hard rules to follow. God's never asked me any, to do anything that's impossible for me to do. And here's the best part about it, and I know I've talked about this. Jesus did it all himself. Jesus is not asking me to do something that he didn't do himself. Like every great leader, Jesus not only came here, put on the flesh of a human, walked on the earth. Jesus did everything he's asked me to do. He's not asked me to do a thing that he's not done himself. That's exciting stuff. God's not burdening you with roles. He is freeing you. And he's doing, he's asking of you nothing more than he has done himself. That's a cool God. Verse 32. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. We were just talking about that. Does that sound like something that we're going through right now? Not only do we continue to do these things that by the law deserves death, but we're patting people on the back for doing it. We are. Society makes us. And again, if you don't play ball the way they want you to, you're a hater. But make, let me be very clear. All these things that we're talking about, we've just hit a laundry list that include people who think that they're smarter than God, people in homosexual relationships, People who are wicked, people who are evil. I'm not going to read that whole list again. But make no mistake, God hates what they're doing. God loves those people. God loves those people. It doesn't matter what you're doing on that list. God doesn't hate you for it. He hates what you're doing. If you think you're smarter than him, he still loves you. He knows you're a dummy, but he still loves you. If you're a gay person, guess what? I don't care with the, the people from Westboro Baptist when they fly their little signs. God doesn't hate you. He hates what you're doing, but he loves you. It doesn't matter how dark your heart is. God wants to rescue you because he still loves you. He cares deeply for you. Do you realize that Jesus did not die any less for anybody on this list than what he did for me. Could, could you imagine 
Could you imagine a world where we looked at people through the eyes of Christ? Could you imagine? We talk about, I pray every Sunday, Spirit, make us more like Jesus. I don't want that to be just a ritual thing that I say. I, I don't want it to be just, just like some mantra that I, that, that, that I recite every Sunday. What am I asking? Every time you hear me ask the Holy Spirit to bend me into the shape of Christ, I'm asking God to help me love people, regardless of who they are, what they're doing, or where they're from. I'm asking God to give me the strength to forgive when I don't want to forgive. So let me tell you what, I have a hard time with forgiveness. Oh, trust me, I got spiritual, I got spiritual dirt in here. Being the pastor doesn't make me the best man here. It just makes me the, the one that has to spill my stuff out in front of everybody. That's it. I have. I struggle with forgiveness. There are times that I, I, I genuinely feel like a humble dude. There are times I feel like my head, I'm lucky I can get through a door. So I'm telling you, it, it's... But what I'm asking God to do is to help me look at people the way he does, to love people the way he does. I'm asking God to, to make most important in my heart his knowledge and not the knowledge of man. I, make, I want his knowledge to be more important to me than the knowledge of science. And you know, and I love it. I want him to be more important than my truck. I want him to be more important than all of these things that I value so much. That's what I'm asking for. So I ask that when I pray that, that you pray that because we all need to look a little more like Jesus. We must decrease. He must increase.